The orphanage I grew up in allowed orphans to go to school for half days with other kids that had families, and the way they would separate us was by the size and shape of a mum we had on our heads. The kids with families had a big silky white mum that was the size of their heads, and the orphans had a small wilted mum that I'm sure was passed down every year. It was a constant reminder of who and who did not have families. In my first year with my forever family, my mom remembered this, and on my first American school picture day, she found the best ribbon she could and stuck it on my head and sent me off. It's been 20 years since my forever family and I found each other, and in those years, the ribbon has been replaced by trust, constant love, and support. I'm the luckiest person in the world to have parents and a brother who have always made me feel whole and loved. What's up, everybody? So what you just heard are the words of my next guest taken from one of her Instagram posts. I met a cell in a Manhattan restaurant a couple months ago. We started chatting, and I asked her to come on the podcast. The conversation went something like this. Where are you from originally? Her. Take a guess. Of course, I had no chance, and she told me she was originally from Kazakhstan. Very intrigued, I explained my podcast and asked her to come on. I have to give her credit. She accepted and we stayed in touch and finally made it happen. At the time, I had no idea about her story and her journey. I only knew that she is originally from Kazakhstan and an aspiring actress. After a quick Google search the following day, I found out that she was adopted as a young girl. Her story is really cool. She even asked her mom to come on and give her perspective. So this one is a bit different than previous episodes. We did it over FaceTime. The audio came out okay, but it's a bit different than being in person. I have to thank Asel for making this happen and making it happen in the way that it did. I had considered trying to do an episode over the phone, but hadn't tested it out. Thanks to Mom Beverly for her time and input on this episode as well. Enjoy, everyone. Hi. Hey there. How are you? I'm good. My mom, Beverly, is here. Hi. Hi, Beverly. How are you guys? Hi. We're good. Um, I Is that good? I can see you. There we go. Now I can see both of you. There we go. All right. There we go. Fantastic. It's so funny because we're wearing the same shirt, too. I know, right? How was was your trip out? It was a little rough, huh? Yeah. Yeah. So I was supposed to be here Saturday night. And then I was like, I'm never flying out of New Jersey again. Like, it was just, some, I don't know what was happening. There was like a thunderstorm or something. But all the flights to Canada were getting canceled when I got there. So I was like, oh, no, like, this can't be good. And then it just kept getting more and more and more delayed. And then I was like, you know what? Let me just call Alaska Airlines customer service. And they rebooked me for the following day. And then right after I did that, the flights got canceled. Oh no. Oh, what a mess. <laughs> I know it's a little yeah. rough. I, I went to Iceland um, back in April and something similar. We didn't get rescheduled, but it, it was such a long, long delay. It's frustrating, right? Yeah. Yeah. But and it's hard too because I'm flying from, you know, New York all the way to Portland. So it's like, you know, but we're here. We're here. Yeah. Now, Beverly, do you live in Portland? Is that, is that your I home? Live in, I live in Salem. So we're about 45. Salem's the capital. 
and we're about 45 miles from Portland. Okay. So. All right, cool. Well, um, so let me just, I'll introduce myself. First of all, let me, please tell me how to say your name correctly because I, there's, my wife and I were going over today. There's like five different ways that we could say it. So you tell me so I don't mess it up. Yes. A cell, like a cell phone. Okay. That's how I was saying it. But then we're like, there's, there's a couple <laughs> different ways. So, um, a cell. So, um, I, Beverly, I'll tell you kind of how it happened, and Estelle, correct me if I'm wrong. So I was yep. in the city, I was on a work event, and we were, I was with a work colleague, and we went in for dinner, and we were on our way to a different, to a spot further downtown, and um, Estelle was working, and uh, she was our waitress, and I said, where are you from? Like, what's your, your lineage? And she said, try to guess. And of course I couldn't. Uh, and, then, <laughs> and then when she told me, uh, I was telling her about this podcast that I have. So, um, let me back up just a minute. So I'm, I retired from the air force back in 2012. And then I got into the travel industry after that. And then just at, at, kind of on a whim, I decided I'd start this podcast. And I had this idea of, I know all these people from all these cool places men, women, different backgrounds, different ethnicities, and they all have kind of cool stories. And so I was telling my friends about my idea for this podcast, and everybody was very super encouraging. Anyway, so I was telling Asel kind of what I just told you, and I, mm-hmm. I just, I said, look, I'm not, I'm not a weirdo, but it would be kind of cool <laughs> to have you on this podcast. And she was totally receptive. And um, so what, we've been talking about this for about three, four months now, maybe? Yeah. <laughs> It's been a while, trying to like schedule up and do this. So yeah, but I'm glad we're finally doing it. Me too, me too. So thank you for your for for sticking with me and uh, hanging in there until we finally got it scheduled and now we're doing this. So the premise is that um, uh, I'd like to talk about kind of where the guest comes from, like their background and what led them to where they are today and kind of all the the story in between. And now I do know a little bit because you're a bit of a public. You're, you're out there in the public, right? Um, but I, I don't want to spoil it. I'm just going to let you tell me, and then um, you can share with me what you want to, you know, where Beverly fits in, where your mom fits in, and, and that story. Uh, so I'll just kind of turn it over to you. Tell me where you're born, where you're from, what your journey's been, and you, the two of you can share, you know, bits and pieces or, or put, it, put the story together for me, and, you know, feel free to ask me questions, and then we'll just let the dialogue kind of roll from there. Sounds good. Yeah. I have, um, my mom has a better timeline of what happened because there was, it, it kind of happened twice, like the adoption process. So if you started off and then I'll kind of jump in and kind of like what I remember, to do because, <laughs> you know, I was so young, but yeah, we can, that would be great. Okay. Go so, for it. Uh, yeah. We were living in Houston. I, uh, worked at NASA at this time. I was uh, working at, in the space food systems uh, laboratory. I was the lab manager and um, decided uh, my husband took a right one day rather than taking the normal left and drove past the neighbor's house and they were having a raising money to bring kids over to a program called Kids Save. So he said, you ought to go down there. We had uh, our son and we'd always thought about having you know, another child. And so we were, I went down the street, met my neighbor and, and she explained and we said, okay, we'll, we'll sponsor, we'll be a sponsor of a child. So that is what started it. Um, they brought, uh, the kids say was working with an orphanage in Taraz, Kazakhstan. They do with different, but this was the one that the cell came from. 
And we were supposed to have uh, kids. They they would bring us. 10 kids, various ages over, the all older uh, uh, orphans living in uh, orphanage in, in Kazakhstan. And um, they would spend time with the host family with the with the concept of the hope that, that they would be adopted either by the host family or by, by another family in the area. So that's how it started. Uh, we started helping raise money and then became the host family. And then waited for the kids to arrive, and they were supposed to come, and then they didn't come, they were supposed to come, and then they didn't. <laughs> I mean, it was just like a whole process, but even, like, we, we've always had this concept, if we did write a book, of, like, what I, like, what I experienced and what you experienced, and I'll jump in now, and, like, kind of what I remember from that process, too, was, so when I was two or three, whatever my record state, I was left in an apartment hallway, and my neighbors had called the police and they couldn't find anybody that was, that was in that apartment that I was left in. And um, Kazakhstan had this like rule or law where you couldn't be placed in an orphanage unless like you had nobody, right? Like even if you had like an aunt or You would a be in an orphanage, but you wouldn't be able to be adopted. To be adopted. So they couldn't find anybody that I was, you know, uh, related to. So they put me in an orphanage and I was wearing like a blue dress, they said. But so I was first post, uh, placed into like the young groups, and I didn't get adopted. And I was like in the in the young age group, and then I was put in the quote unquote adult orphanage. And I was officially adopted when I was seven or eight. Uh, you were eight, eight, eight when it was not, completed. When it was completed, but not an adult orphanage, just an older kid. So well, yeah. They right. have about 500 orphans in Faraz. They have about 250 in the baby orphanage and about 250 in the older kids from like age five to age 15. Mm-hmm. Um, but at that time, you know, Kazakhstan wasn't an oil rich company then. It was more so kids, once they hit a certain age, really didn't get adopted. Yeah, um, when you get kicked out when you reach 15. And I remember, like, for schools, I think I, um, the, what you were mentioning earlier, like, what I posted on um, my Instagram a while ago was we would only go to school for half a day. And um, I don't, like, from what I do remember about school, I remember, like, going in with the other, like, orphans. And, like, during the winter time, our teacher had this, like, huge coat. And she would have some change. She always had change in there. And we would feel it, but she would never know. And now looking back, I think she put it there because there was always change. <laughs> so that's like a little fun story. But yeah, and but what I we didn't really learn anything. Like also we were pretty young. But I the only thing I remember learning was like how to spell my name. That's because they don't start school until they're seven years old. Oh, and wow. so she had. They had the equivalent of what would be our kindergarten. So they they are very. Kazakhstan is very highly educated. They're very, very supportive of their kids. So I don't think she was, she was just at the age where she was just starting school there. But, but education and taking care is is very, very important to them as a country, as a, as a culture. Okay. That is so Um, interesting. I I love the story about the, the, uh, the change in their coat. And I, I, I could see how that could be just like a, a human thing to say, like, look, I'm not, I can't give this to you, but it's here, right? Yeah, yeah. I just, I don't know why. I just have always remembered that. Yeah. 
And we would like make it like, you know, like we were being, I'm sure we weren't being secretive at all. (laughs) (laughs) So what, what, what language were you speaking at that age then? Kazakh. Okay. All right. Yeah. Do you still speak it or do you remember much of it? No, but I, I wish I did. Um, when we lived in San Antonio when I was younger, I used to work at this restaurant and these two guys, where were those two, where were those two guys from? Uzbekistan. Uzbekistan, yeah. Whichever, but I was, I was a host and they were like, are you from Kazakhstan? And that has never happened to me before. So I was like, oh my God, like that's, you know, in Texas, like wow. <laughs> but you know, but they were, they were, they were there on a military base and they said they would like say stuff in Kazakhstan and I could say it but I, I didn't understand what they what they meant when what, what it said at, at the time Russia Russian was really the national language I mean, she was she was when she came that was years after the dissolution of the USSR but um, we anticipated that she would speak Russian mm. and so because I worked at NASA I had access to Russian interpreters and she, uh, that's where we found out she didn't speak Russian, but that was also a time when, and I've learned this from the people who helped with the adoption, is that they were very nationalistic and they really were wanted the kids to, to learn Kazakh. So it had been more of a Russian-oriented area, and then uh, as it broke up, they wanted to retain their nationalism, and, and the kids were really taught to speak Kazakh. So I didn't even know that. <laughs> Yeah. We're all learning here. Um, yeah. So how long did it take, Beverly, before you guys could actually communicate directly uh, with one another with, with the language barrier? Oh, this oh is an interesting story. Um, we could communicate almost instantaneously. I don't know what it is. I would look at her, she would look at me, and we knew what the other one was trying to say. It was, it was a very meant-to-be kind of story. Mm-hmm. I mean... Um, I know when we brought her back, I was by myself, and um, we would hand gesture, we would talk, and then Estelle well, learned to speak English. Well, when you were in Kazakhstan, while she was visiting me, she would come. How long were you there? Two weeks. Two weeks. So she would come, and there was one time where we were able to go to the home of um, Zara. Was it Zara's home? Or the, no, where I, you were I was staying. Zara was our my like interpreter, but where she was staying in Kazakhstan, I went with her that night. And I remember like in that room where you were like, we were talking about, like, I don't know what we were talking about, but you had those like these huge purple suitcases and you had something in them, like a vase or something. And I remember we could like, you know, with hand gestures and just like looks, we could always communicate. Um, Yeah. I always say that you're, my mom is like my soulmate, my true, (laughs) like my own, my one true love in this world. And I, and I do believe that wholeheartedly because, we didn't even speak the same language, and we did and we have full blown conversations. Yeah. <laughs> that is so amazing. Um, so before I get too before we get too much further, um, what Beverly? What would you say? So my wife and I have we have a son. He's nine years old, um, and we, we just haven't we haven't not tried to have another. We just don't have another. We haven't been blessed with another child. Um, we mm-hmm. have toyed with the idea of adoption, and we're nowhere near like serious about it. But what would you say to anyone? that is considering adopting, whether it's domestically, internationally, whatever it is, what what would you, what would your words of encouragement be? My, my words of encouragement is, is it requires patience because the love that you have for an adopted child is almost more similar to a love you have for a spouse. You have to fall in love. 
you know, when you have your, your bio kids, you've talked to them for nine months and you've had, you know, they've, they've been just there and, and it's, that's a different, more of a, but, but you have to, uh, especially with the older kids, um, because, you know, they, she was, a, she was abandoned yeah. and, you know, you have to go through the whole trust and gaining trust and, and love and establishment for yeah. a very long time. Not, not, not huge, but it did take time. I mean, uh, one of, so the, the, what I was referencing to earlier with the book that we want to write is called Doorway, um, only because, like, that was kind of where my life changed, I think, especially, like, me fully accepting that I was like, okay, I'm, I'm part of this family. You know, I was, I, once I was adopted, it was so scary, and school was scary. Like, everything was just terrifying, and I was horrible. And, like, the only way I could communicate was, like, as, you know, like a baby, so you just cry or scream, which all, that's all I did for a while. And I was just being a brat. And I remember, you know, one night it was just like really bad. And you dragged my ass upstairs and like couldn't even yell. It was beyond that, you know, like you can't even yell at me at that point. And she just slammed the door like in, in the room with me and she just fell to her knees like on the door and just start crying well i wasn't exactly that way <laughs> no that's what i remember that's what she was she cried and i went to you yeah. and i was like I, I get it like i finally felt like okay like i can trust this person like yeah. it was almost like that i needed that like i needed to be shown that yeah. you cared about me that vulnerability but, yeah 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 and i it's it's a it's a process and i think whether you uh adapt domestically even if you adopt a baby um you have to to understand that even even a a, child, a baby who's who's not with their original birth parents is going to miss something and you have to be able to get through that period too but um we couldn't be closer we we are very with a lot of sense some people said that to me the other day who would have thought? I feel so much like you. <laughs> and yet she's not. She's her own person. So, uh, well, then, when you were at the orphanage, you were like, oh, you guys have the same nose. <laughs> and I went, yeah, right. <laughs> it was just meant sure, to be. <laughs> That's amazing. That really is amazing. Um, okay, so from the adoption, uh, where did things go from there? So you had to get into the school system. You had to learn English. You had to start a whole new social network. And um, did you guys move around at all, or were you in Texas the whole time? We were in Texas the whole time. For the first year of my adoption, we were in Houston. And um, I was in a public school in second grade. Second? And you started in second, second yeah. So. But, you know, the first year of school was just so confusing to me. I, 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 the only thing I really remember was I was, they would put me in the back of the class and had, I had this, like, little, like, table with crayons and stuff because I didn't speak English. I would have like ESL classes, but I would honestly just make cards all day long. I was just doing like arts and crafts. And you came, and then when we went to San Antonio for my third, uh, third grade, fourth, fourth grade, fourth grade, fourth, fourth grade, it was really, it was pretty hard. Um, and because I could finally like start, I was learning English at that time. Uh, I could speak English at the time, I mean, and I was being bullied pretty, like, not horribly, but just how little kids do with somebody who, you know, doesn't, doesn't sound like them. And then she found this amazing school. We we went went we well, my brother went there first, but, yeah, the the, the thing in, in Houston, because we were right by the, the Johnson Space Center, 
ESL was more inclusive than it was at when we moved to San Antonio. ESL in San Antonio was Spanish English. And you had friends in Houston that were actually from Norway. I mean, they yeah. they had a, a you know a broader range, but yeah, they they you you were you were learning, but you didn't realize you were learning. <laughs> but yeah, um, this when we got to to San Antonio, then then she was in fourth grade, and um, the school system was she she couldn't be failed because she was an ESL student, but she couldn't be advanced because she wasn't passing. Yeah. So we were stuck in limbo. So yeah, we we then um, she went to a, a school that my son was attending, um, which was geared towards kids with learning differences. And um, they, you know, they they knew exactly what to do because they geared the curriculum towards her capabilities. Sure. And that school, I think, really set me up for success. Yeah, because they, you know, it, it it was like a it was a private program. It was a private school, and it just went slower pace. And I gained so much confidence there. And I played sports. That's where I like, you know. Um, she played I every, every sport, I any sport that a girl could go be every in. Every single sport, even the like, and the boys. Even my, they didn't have softball team, so I played play baseball with the boys. <laughs> like, I just I gained so much confidence, and I like really became like who I am today. Where to? I thought I was going to spend all through high school there, but then in eighth grade, I kind of found the arts. We had this um, teacher that came in and taught a puppet class. And I was like, oh, this is so fun. And I told my mom about it. And she's like, well, there is this, like, arts high school here. Um, you know, you could audition. And we went. And I auditioned for their musical theater program and their dance program. I didn't get into their dance program. But I got into their um, musical theater program. And that's kind of, like, where that all started. I left sports. Um, I was still figure skating. But... Yeah, I completely left that and then went the complete <laughs> went a different route. Yeah. But it was always, you know, because you knew my mom always had the resources, you know. Yeah. That, and like she knew what to set me up for. Now, did you finish? So. Did you finish uh, primary school, uh, high school in Texas then? In that school? Yeah, yeah. So I finished at Northeast School of the Arts um, as a musical theater major, and through high school, I realized I just wanted to do acting. And they had a great, you know, NISA was so good because they had so many connections to different art um, colleges and they would come to NISA and, you know, um, scout kids and stuff. So I did this big math audition at a high school and, you know, that was like kind of like the first round and it went really well. And then I went to New York, it's called Unified, where you audition for all these um, uh, acting programs and musical theater schools. And I told my mom, I was like, I'll go to the school that gives me the most money. And I ended up going to Otterbein University for acting. They gave me the most money. <laughs> and it, it was great. It was, you know, again, it was small. Um, and it was good for me. It was a really good program for me. And their senior year, the second semester, you do an internship program. And you could go to any major city. And I decided to go to New York. And I interned at... Kelsey and Company at the time, and they are a huge casting office that does all Broadway musical plays and anything that you see on TV that has to do with any sort of musicals. That they cast all that, so I did that, and I thought I wanted to be a casting director after that because it was such a great experience. 
And so I um, interned at Disney Casting too, as well. And that was great, but I um, was like, no, I need to give acting a chance. So I went back to acting and now we're here. And you've done um, both on screen and off screen as well, right? Yeah, yeah. So I'm part of SAG and part of um, Actors Equity. So I've done um, theater and TV. I recently just like kind of got kicked off or like kicked on to like TV and film. It's finally working and I have great agents. And I booked um, a show called Power Book 2 Ghost. It's on Stars. It's a great show. It's with the Method Man and Mary J. Blige. Lots Huge. of cool cast members on that show. So because yeah. because of you, I started to watch it. And I and I did see the first episode that you're in. I didn't get to see the second one. Uh, but I, I think, and because I have a nine-year-old, I have to watch it in my spare time. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I, I really want to get into it and follow the whole series. But yeah, it's a really cool cast. It's, yeah, it's a great show. I wish it got more um, hype because it, it really is great. Um, so I, yeah, you know, and that audition was, was crazy because it was just, uh, when I first auditioned for it, there was no lines. It was just all reactions. And when I got to set and we did, you know, the choreography for that scene, they gave me a line which was amazing. And then they asked me to come back for season three as a reoccurring. So it's been good. You know, I wish I was doing more. <laughs> um, well, listen, you got to start somewhere, right? That's pretty cool. Though. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But mom, how do you feel about seeing your daughter on TV? Oh, it, it, you know what? Both of my kids, they need to follow what they, they need to find their path. And um, I think that that's, I could never do it. I, 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 I'm a food scientist and a dietitian and my, my passion and my path is a different place. But, you know, as long as they, uh, they find their way, that's pretty cool. That is very cool. Very cool. So uh, tell me this, what's so far the, the most challenging thing you've done as an actress? Ooh. Aside from, aside from <laughs> auditioning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. You know, probably that scene, um, that very first scene on television that I did, because, you know, it was a set scene. And I I remember with my roommate when I was, um, when I was living with my roommate at the time when I got this audition, I was like, should I do this? Like, should this be like my very first time on camera? Should it be this? And she said, okay, how would you feel if your parents saw it? She was like, make, make that decision with them. I said, oh, I don't care. I was <laughs> just like, then you should do it, you know, like, if you don't care, then, like, those are, the, like, the most important people, then you should do it, so I was like, okay, and, you know what, that experience ended up being one of the best, but also so scary, I bet. you know, yeah, I bet, yeah, but we had an intimacy director on set, and I felt completely safe, and it was, you know, I don't know if it might have been different, it was with maybe a male, but it was maybe a little bit easier, because I, it was with another female, yeah, um, I would say probably that and auditioning. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty amazing. And, it, I, you know, one of the things that I've found throughout life is, like, if it, if it's scary but you've got, like, this passion and if you push through it and you face your, your fears, it generally comes out to be a pretty amazing thing. If you can just get over your fear of doing it and you go through it and you look back and, like, I did it and it was cool yeah. and it was amazing and it just builds your confidence, right? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. So, 
Yeah, I, no, I don't care at all. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool. But, so yeah. so oh, let, let, oh, let's please. talk about a couple of other things that are that are out there um, in the public arena for everyone to to, to see if they um, if you know if they're looking after looking for you. Uh, figure skating. So where are you with that? I saw that that on your resume still, and I know you just mentioned it. Are you still doing it? How was that? Is it a fun experience? Is it a hobby? Where are you at with that? Oh, it's definitely just more like recreational now, just like, you know, just for fun in the wintertime in New York, which is really great. But yeah, I was definitely like very serious about it when I was younger. The only, I remember how I got into it was um, because of Ice Princess. We like saw it in the movies, but I was like, oh, I want to do that. And so I started taking lessons and um, it was great. It was, it was amazing. And I competed and I thought I wanted to do Disney on Ice for a while. Um I think I just was like, I'll go to school instead. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, now, it's a great sport. Now tell me, <laughs> t- tell me this. Can you juggle and figure skate at the same time? Um, or I, ice skate I, at the same time? I think I could. <laughs> There's a challenge for you. <laughs> <laughs> I think I could do it. So why, why, why do you list juggling and figure skating? Is it um, just to kind of – you tell me. Why, why is that out there in the public arena? Yeah. So those those two things are in my additional skills on the bottom of my resume, and you know that's just kind of like just fun things that you are good at and that you can do that you can add below that will always just help you in the room. Yeah. Um, I remember because I had figure skating on my resume, my very like one of the very first auditions that I had in New York was for a Versace commercial, and it, they just needed somebody to be here like figure skating, and I just had to send them a video of me skating and that was it. And you know, I didn't get it, but <laughs> I see the commercial like sometimes I'm like, Oh, like that was like, that was that. And juggling, we, I don't know why this, this is, but we took an entire semester in college <laughs> a movement class where they just taught us juggling. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's good. It's good hand eye coordination, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, like when I auditioned for like kids shows, I um I always just like add that during my slate because I think it's just like you know a cute little trick. But our dog is trying to get in. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of dog do you have? It's a mix. He's huge. He's huge. He's uh, got some lab and some American Staffordshire and maybe a little Dane. Oh in wow! Him. And this other bit- one who is he's a a cream. Uh, golden English golden retriever who's so, originally from Ukraine. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Wow. <laughs> How long have you had him? The uh, the the big the big guy we've had since he was a puppy. He's just turned three, and our uh, our cream golden. She was a. Uh, uh, we decided our other guy needed a companion, and so uh, she's a retired breed dog. That's why she's from Ukraine, but she's now a pet. Oh, we're, we're a dog family too. We had, um, two, uh, we had a Labradoodle and a golden doodle and now we're down to just a Labradoodle. They're such sweet dogs. And like like you guys, I just saw you open the door there. So I've got my door closed on this room too, because she'd, she'd poke her nose in and it's a, it's like a barn door kind of thing. And she, she can, she'll open it up if she really wants to get in. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's great having dogs. They're they're awesome. Um, so Estelle, are you what? 
Why did you end up in New York, and what do you think the future looks like? Will you stay there? Will you go out to L.A.? Like, with, with entertainment and acting, I know it's, um, it, if, like, Hollywood is obviously a, a very much a West Coast thing, but there's certainly a, a heavy presence on the East Coast and specifically in New York as well. Yeah, I, I love New York. So I, I went to New York my second semester of my senior year to do the internship. And, and um, I, I just didn't leave. I, you know, have a great group of core friends there. And um, my boyfriend lives there now. And I, he's like born and bred New Yorker. <laughs> um, so I definitely see myself staying there. I would love to move like upstate New York. It's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And like acting wise, you know, I, I don't know. I'm still like kind of figuring that out. With all these strikes now and SAG's about to go on strike, it's just going to be so, so dark for a while. Um, and I, I love it, but I don't know. It, it's been very hard for me to book roles. And I, it's not, I don't think it's due to talent. I think it's due to the way I look sometimes, unfortunately. I just think like I'm so, um, like I'm not one specific like look. So I think it's very hard for me to get cast and stuff for that reason. Um, and I don't know why that is, but I hope that, you know, will change. But so I don't know. I, I But I think I'll, I'll stay in the art somehow. Um, like casting has always been great. Um, uh, some of my friends right now, we're writing a little like mini series. So maybe, you know, m- m- more behind the um, camera. I don't know. <laughs> well, that's cool. Look, stick with it as long as it's your passion. Look, it's, and anything can land in your lap. It's if it's meant to be, it's meant to be, right? So t- t- you yeah. t- you touched a little bit on um, on SAG there. So talk to me. I had sent you an email about the strike. Oh, is it the Writers Guild? Yeah, yeah. So the Writers Guild are um, strike now, and and SAG is probably going to be joining soon. So what the writer strike is, every three years they have these, they renegotiate their contracts for the writers. And, you know, this year a lot of stuff came up about what the strike is, is basically about getting paid more for the writers. Normally before streaming services, when they were on television, they had 100 episodes per you know show and the writers would be there for the full 100 episodes to write them. And now, you know, episodes are eight, six. 10 maybe and they're already on a streaming platform so they're not getting residuals as to where before they were getting residuals for those however many episodes they write for so now their pay's just been cut enormously and ai ai is a big part of it now too of all these big networks are trying to use ai to write scripts which makes no sense (laughs) you know like what (laughs) so they're fighting for ai to not be involved in the writing process whatsoever and it's kind of the same thing for the actors too you know getting more paid more for if you're on a streaming show um and not using ai for performing that's uh, so again like i know very little about this other than what i I see on the news here and there and then i you know whatever you can google but i was watching um I just caught like a glimpse of maybe it was the view or something. It might've been on TV as I was getting ready for work one morning and they were specifically talking about their writers. And I didn't help me understand how that works. Like here's a, here's a group of ladies that are on this show and they have this dialogue going on. What, what's written for them? I mean, what is, what is behind the scenes with the writers? Yeah. So like whenever there's, like any type of monologue that they have. So normally like 
all the late night show hosts, they have a monologue right before their show. That's written out for them. Most of their jokes that they even say that looks like improv, you know, whatever they're saying, it's, it's been written out. Okay. And all those like talk show hosts, they have little cue cards on them. Like their job is to make it sound like they're saying it right there in the moment. But most of the time it's always written for them. Um, so yeah. Okay. Well, no, that makes sense. I, I, I didn't realize that. I think probably for yeah. just the, the, the lay person, I don't know. Well, speak for myself. I didn't know that. Right. Um, so that's, it's interesting to understand kind of the inner workings of some of this stuff that you just take for granted. I definitely took yeah. that for granted. Yeah. Um, so tell me this, have you been back to Kazakhstan or is there, if you haven't, or is there any desire to go there? Yeah, I absolutely want to go back. I have not. I always said that I wanted to go to my 21st birthday, but, you know, that didn't happen. But, yeah, I, I absolutely would love to go back. Um, I don't know, like, safety-wise right now, because it's right underneath Russia. Yeah. I don't know if now would be, like, the smartest time to go. But, yeah, I would I would love to go. Are there any connections there? Um, obviously, you were abandoned as a youth, but is there are, are there any sort of connections there for you at all outside of the orphanage no Zara. Zara, yeah our interpreter yeah we're actually like friends on um on facebook and she'll like on my adoption day we'll post stuff but no we don't we don't and like you're not you know again i wouldn't be here today if i did have any type of connection there yeah 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 um so on your instagram you had put a post on there about the mom and about <laughs> your mom uh do you want to talk about that yeah, yeah. So I, when we would go to school for half the day, um, was it just a cultural thing for those moms? No, no. For the uniform? It, it, they, they were the cutest things. These kids would have big silk flowers. They were moms, and they would have them they, on top of their hair. They And they would you know have their little school uniform, and then they would have a big white pom-pom mom. And they just looked adorable. <laughs> so, But so the... The kids that weren't in the orphanage would have these big white silky uh, mums, and ours were like he was saying, were just like very shriveled up. Like you can just tell they've just been like donated, um, through, you know, through kids. And like even when she would leave me gifts, like when she was visiting me, you would have to share them with like the entire like orphanage. Like you can never have something that was your own. So I like one of my very first school photos. She put like a little ribbon in my hair, I think just for like that cute moment. But I do have to say that um, from her perspective of being, from my perspective, the kids were extremely well taken care of. It was, a, it was, um, they had taken all, I mean, you could tell, um, and this was part of the program and we learned about that, that I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't a wealthy area at the time, but it was, it was, uh, clean. Yes, they had 250 kids within there, so there was it was a big organization. But they they had. I said it actually reminded me where, and I stayed with a host family. We didn't stay in a hotel. I grew up on a farm in Minnesota in the in the 1950s and 60s, and I it looked like it looked like that. I mean, you know, <laughs> lace curtains on the window, and and they had little they had little divider areas where they could do their homework, and they had. I mean, it was. Um, it wasn't. It was an orphanage. There's no doubt. But but um, it's a Muslim influenced country, and they and Muslims are are very big on taking care of widows and children. And and they weren't. Um, it, it was it was a nice 
I, I, you know, overall, and I think even um, in comparison with stories you've heard of, of orphanages from other parts of the world, I, you know, they, they, they did the best for the kids that they had the ability to do. I really believe that. That's amazing. So tell me this, Beverly, how, why Kazakhstan of all the places on the planet, you're in Houston, Texas, and you do, you know, you decide to do this. Why, why Kazakhstan? Well, you know, you said this earlier, you know, if you, sometimes the things are, you, they just turn out to be. And um, this was the program. This was my, my, my neighbor. She was working. That's the orphanage there. We just went and we, we, we were like, okay, well, it just works out. And I, Asel and I, I've said, you know, if she, she just had to hide on the other side of the planet, and I had to come and find her, and that was what it was. Uh, so, that's, so, that's sweet. It's so amazing. Um, <laughs> so how did this select – I don't – I'm, I'm not doing this justice by saying it this way, uh, so forgive me, but how did this selection process work? Like, how were you matched up? Yeah. Oh, we had <laughs> it's very, I think we break question. <laughs> yeah. Um, we got sheets with pictures of the kids and the kind of a, a catalog. <laughs> and the, no, no, no. They're coming and who would you like to have as your, in your, as your host child? And she, um, all their hair, you know, part of it, all the little girls had, had little boy haircuts. And so that was for, to control life. Yeah. And, and keep okay. it. So she looks like a little boy. And, uh, but she, her birthday was in February. And my birthday's in February. My son's birthday's in February. And we were like, I mean, the other was like, how else are you going to pick? You know, like, <laughs> yeah. like what? Yeah. So, yeah, that's the only, that's the only reason. It, it, if, if you said there was logic and thought and everything, that would be, we would just be making that up. We just went with the role. We just went with, and it turned out to be exactly what it was supposed to be. Yeah, yeah. that is so cool. Well, listen, February is a good month. My son was born in February as well. So. Hey. <laughs> um, Although we're, now that we know her, we're not really sure she was really born in February. So. Yeah. <laughs> Very in astrology, and it's, I'm definitely not um, a water sign. <laughs> um, so what's what's next um, for you, Asel? You're 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 in New York. You're you're you don't just act, obviously, because I met you at, on your job um, in, yeah. a, in a restaurant. Remind me what restaurant that is, too, because it was a, it was a very fuzzy night for me. No, totally. Um, I'm not going to say the name of the restaurant because I actually left in really terrible terms. <laughs> okay, fair enough. All right, we, fair enough. Um, oh. So I don't want to give them any <laughs> anything. Okay. But I, <laughs> I now work at an amazing restaurant, at a French restaurant um, called Pastis in the meatpacking district. I work there with my boyfriend, so it's great. It's, a, it's you know, it's always busy. It's really cool people. Um I'm doing that now, and my boyfriend is currently opening up a burger shop in Hell's Kitchen. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, it's going to be called Cubbies, and hopefully it'll be open July 1st. I guess start, like, the next phase of my life with him would be, like, kind of, like, in what's happening in the immediate future, and hopefully um, the writers and actors will get paid <laughs> properly yeah. so we can work and, you know, have auditions happen again. Because, yeah, you know, the, <laughs> can't the, really do any- the epitome of a struggling actress, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
I just, yeah, I mean, the last one, the last strike for the writers lasted 100 days, and that was in 2008. So hopefully it won't take that long this, this time. But New York City is home for you for the foreseeable future. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that's cool. Yeah, I love- Though you're living in a very cool area. It's pretty cool that you were, you were pulled into New York City. I know. Yeah, it, it is. I, I've met so many people from Kazakhstan there too. And um, my boyfriend found on my adoption day, we always celebrate it. And he found this Uzbeki restaurant that like serves traditional Kazakh dishes too. So, you know, it's just. That's pretty cool. Nice. Yeah. Like where else, you, where else in the U.S. are you going to be able to get like the tie to your roots than New York exactly. City? That, that, exactly. That is, yeah. Yeah. I, need, I need to still go to Brighton Beach because apparently that's like a little um, little sauna area over there too. <laughs> Beverly, have you been out there to visit? Um, have you been to, to New York City? And if you have, do you like it out there? What do you think? <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. I, I've, uh, I've traveled all over the country with my work, but I'm not a Northeasterner. <laughs> um, I, I'm, a, I'm a Western gal. I'm trying to get her to move upstate New York, though. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's beautiful up there. I have, um, I have a friend who has a winery. I did, actually did an episode with him. He's probably about an hour, hour and a half outside of New York City in the Hudson Valley. It's a beautiful area. It absolutely is. So we live in the Willamette Valley, which is the best team noir in the United States. Oh, so, all you know, right. And, and uh, I'll tell, you know, she, she laughs because I have a garden here and roses and flowers. And she goes, she said, we were laughing. I said, I tried to get everything in the, in the ground so she didn't have to help me plant. Because she likes gardens, but she's not into planting. And she said, uh, she didn't have a green thumb. I said, if you can't grow something in the Willamette Valley, you're trying to kill it. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's just a she randomly had like a cherry tomato thing just start growing and she didn't plant them. Like, yeah, yeah. Now, now is that, is that where you're from originally Beverly or, or did you just decide to settle there? Where are you from originally? Minnesota. 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 Okay. I'm sorry. Yeah. You did say that earlier. Okay. And it's very, that Minnesota and Oregon, very similar roots, very similar sensibilities. You know, um, it's, uh, you know, pioneers, people, you know, but, yeah. In fact, you'll find a lot of people out here who have relatives from Minnesota. So it, it is what it is. But. Yeah, no, cool, 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 cool. Um, I've traveled a fair amount. I haven't been out to Minnesota ever. Uh, probably the Northwest <laughs> is probably the, the, the lacking area for me in the U.S. But uh, one day we'll get out there. My son and I like to travel. Uh, we started this little tradition when we're doing a road trip every summer. Uh, right now we're just kind of exploring the Southeast. So we're going to Georgia this summer. Uh, but maybe one day we'll make a road trip out that way. I, I lived in I lived in New Orleans for 18 years, so I understand I understand the South. <laughs> oh my gosh, do you understand the South? Yeah, I've been to I've been to Louisiana, spent a fair amount of time there. I've been to New Orleans. Yeah, it's a uh, wildly different from where you live right now. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But people are people are because we're culturally different. That's one thing. But all you 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 learn to grow to appreciate. The good, you know, the good. There's some wonderful people there. And then while we look at the world differently, there's still wonderful people there. So oh, it's pretty cool. hundred percent, hundred percent. Now, did you retire from NASA? No, I'm still working. Oh, wow. <laughs> I am. I'm, uh, I'm uh, the director of an R&D department for a, a food company and moved out to 
had done consulting with the company that I moved out here to work with. And then, so um, a little bit more, another year, year and a half, and I'm going to retire. <laughs> All right. Well, l- listen, um, I'm excited to see you, your acting career lift off. I'm going to follow you. I've already been following you. Uh, yeah. I, I think it was amazing that you took this leap of faith to, you know, say yes to some random stranger in a restaurant in the middle of Manhattan who says, Hey, I've got this podcast. You want to come over and and tell me about your life story? No, I really appreciate it. You know, and I thank you for being so patient with me while we're trying to figure out the whole scheduling thing. I started that new job. It was just crazy. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, no, I, I really appreciate this. And you know, hopefully we'll one day when my mom retires, we'll write that book. <laughs> that would be, I think, because there, there is, there's so much. And I, yeah, it was, I think getting here was pretty traumatic or and not traumatic, but, you know, just like different where I don't have a lot of my memories of that time. So every time like we talk about it, I learned something new too, which is pretty exciting. So I would love to like really take some time whenever we both have a chance and just really go over everything. So I know, you know, my own history too, but hopefully we'll write that book and it'll definitely called doorways. Listen, um, I encourage you to follow your dream and do that. Um, I think it'd be amazing. You have an amazing story and I think it'd be cool too for, for other kids that have a similar story. And I know you mentioned it, um, initially about when you, when you started school and you didn't speak the language and you were kind of bullied and, you know, there's plenty of people out there that could, you know, learn from your story and appreciate, you know, not being alone in this world and in this process. Um, it's, it's just a really cool and endearing story. And from mom's side too, to be someone who has the opportunity and the, um, the wherewithal to go out and say, look, I can do this for someone else and bring and, and, you know, save a child essentially. I mean, it's absolutely an amazing story. Um, no, thank you so much. This has been so fun. And like, it, it's beneficial for me too. Cause again, like I'm, I'm learning stuff about myself. Yeah, no. And I think it was really cool of you to say, Hey, you know, I'd like to have my mom on because she has a large piece of this story. And uh, <laughs> yeah. obviously uh, 50% at least. Right. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. But thank you so much. I really appreciate this. Yeah, absolutely, guys. So as soon as I get this done, I will share it with USL um, and you can give it a listen and then you can you know share it out to the world and we'll we'll get uh, hopefully a bunch of people listening and hopefully watching your show, too, and following you. And um, best of luck with all, all that you're doing, whether it's figure skating, you too. That's, <laughs> that's amazing. Thank you. I love it. Thank you. All right, cool. All right, ladies. I'll talk to you. Have a great evening. You too. Bye. All Bye-bye. right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.